Today on Truths That Transform. I know many archaeologists, they all look at the sources that they find reliable. And that means Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Book of Acts, and Josephus. Don't let anybody tell you that this is all a myth. As the Apostle said, we have not proclaimed unto you cunningly devised fables. Hello, I'm Pastor Rob Pacienza. The Christian faith is a historical faith rooted in true events that happened in the Middle East thousands of years ago. On today's program, you'll discover how stunning new discoveries have borne out the biblical account of history. Just a few weeks ago, I had the privilege to tour Israel myself. In the places where Jesus walked, these biblical accounts seem to come alive in a unique way. These are not legends and myths their real history. Many assume that Christianity is a historical myth, much like Apollos or some of the Greek myths, but Christianity is based on historical events that can be verified both archaeologically and literarily. Jesus of this land of Nazareth is the central figure of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. In fact, he is the Word of God personified. The Bible is the presentation of believers' testimony about who Jesus is, the four Gospels being the major witnesses, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Bible's testimony to Jesus' life comes primarily in those four books. These texts shed a lot of light on Jesus and his teaching. We have more biblical manuscripts than any other of the ancient manuscripts. We have 6,000 biblical manuscripts, and many of them are very, very close to the original time they were written. In 1947, a curious shepherd boy threw a stone and heard the breaking of pottery. What he found led to one of the most important archeological discoveries of the 20th century. The discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls proved that the text of the Old Testament had been preserved and transmitted with stunning accuracy. The Dead Sea Scrolls uh, were described by a great archaeologist when they were first found as the greatest discovery relating to the Bible ever. And that was said back in the 1940s. And here we are, you know, more than 70 years later, and it's still true. We have almost every Old Testament biblical book represented in the scrolls. So it's a huge uh, uh, treasure trove of biblical manuscripts. There is so much attack on the reliability of scripture from uh, the groves of academe in the secular world, uh, not everywhere, but uh, you see it primarily in the media. And it's kind of ridiculous because more and more evidence piles up, it seems, every other month on new discoveries being made in the Holy Land. About 90% of them immediately confirm the biblical record, Old or New Testament. Many claim the Bible is simply a storybook of myths and made up fables, but discoveries by archeologists have time and again confirmed the historical truth of the Bible. It's so interesting that as archeology span advances, invariably it says, oh yeah, yeah, the, the gospel writer did get it right. It's funny how that just keeps, it's like a broken record. 
And I want to ask the skeptics, don't you, don't you follow the history at all? Haven't you noticed the trend? The mythicists and minimalists who said there was no King David? Well, boy, they look dumb now. What is so interesting about it is some of these radical mythicists up until 1961 were saying, oh, Pilate's a myth too. There was a German guy arguing for that in the 1840s. Why, there was no Pilate, there was no this, there was no that, there was no Jesus. Well, archaeology obviously has embarrassed that theory badly. And in 1960, an Oxford scholar said, you know, I don't think Pilate was a procurator, the way Tacitus says in about the year 120. Pilate was probably a prefect because the governor of Egypt is called a prefect. And so Pilate's the governor of Judea and Samaria. He probably was a prefect too. He said that in 1960. The very next year, a stone is found at Caesarea Maritima. And guess what it says? It's a dedication about a building for the Caesareans. And who's the dedicator? Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea. Uh, this is happening again and again, whereby the hard evidence from the past in the form of archeological artifacts, the smoking gun from the ancient world, I call it, the DNA evidence that comes along and will turn a trial on its ear. This is now coming thick and fast at us from this wonderful Latter-day gift of God called archeology, span which has been around such a short time. The fulfillment of detailed prophecies in the Bible is one of the best proofs of its divine origin 700 years beforehand, the prophet Isaiah tells us that the Messiah will be born here in the tiny city of Bethlehem. His life is the fulfillment of 700 years of prophecy. Before he came, there was a foretelling and a prediction from God about what this promised one would be. And Jesus, by his life, by his work, by his death, and by his resurrection, fulfilled Old Testament promise, prophecy, and prediction. For instance, Isaiah 53 declares that he would die and how he would die. By, by the circumstances of Israel when Jesus came, it was quite, <laughs> quite convenient to focus on the triumphant aspects of the Messiah's reign. And they totally ignored that the scripture was filled with the promises that he would also be a suffering servant who would die for sins. And Jesus himself, even after his resurrection, when he talks to the disciples on the Emmaus Road, he points them back to all that the prophets had proclaimed in the Old Testament. His death and his resurrection is a fulfillment of what God has promised in the Old Testament. There's something about walking where Jesus walked and following in his footsteps that has resonated with Christians throughout the centuries. Jesus is unique insofar as he is a suffering and dying God. Now in antiquity, uh, amongst the, the Greeks, the Gentiles, gods didn't die. They could suffer, but they didn't die. No one survived a Roman crucifixion. Jesus died. And all the precautions were taken to prevent anything from happening after that because they knew that he claimed that he would rise from the dead. And yet, Jesus rose and showed himself to his followers and to more than 500 persons. 
On the Sunday morning when the stone was rolled away and the tomb was found empty 2,000 years ago, the world was changed forever. Death had been defeated and our salvation had been secured. As Christians proclaim this day, Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. There are a variety of reasons why we believe that the documents that tell us about the resurrection are true. One is that these documents are early. The earliest statement we have about the resurrection is from 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians probably being the earliest book in the New Testament. And in chapter 15, Paul says, I'm delivering to you that which I also received. And in that, Paul says, you saw, the disciples saw Jesus, and there were 500 people, many of whom are still living. And he says that so that any of those who want to go and ask those people, did you really see Jesus? Was he really alive after he was crucified? They can go and ask and say, yes, he was. There are still eyewitnesses available at the time of 1 Corinthians. Skeptics and unbelievers have various theories about what did and did not happen in the passion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe the biblical record is the historical record, is the true record. It was here in Galilee that the resurrected Christ told his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This has been the commission to the church through the ages. It's critical for faithful pastors and churches to lead their people and to reach the lost with extreme, absolute, and unwavering confidence that the Bible is the Word of God. Jesus is the only way to the Father. And the message of the gospel is the only good news by which man can be saved. Christianity is a faith that is based on real historical events. From the creation of Adam and Eve, to the parting of the Red Sea, to the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Skeptics who want to push Christianity to the margins have often denied these events. For a long time, they were frequently able to get away with it because there was still so much undiscovered evidence buried in Israel and the rest of the Middle East. But today, a growing number of discoveries is demonstrating the veracity of the scriptures. My pastor and mentor, Dr. D. James Kennedy, examines this as he looks at the question, what does archaeology prove? It's interesting that in the radical left wing of Protestantism back 100, 200 years ago, they were concocting in their ivory towers all kinds of theories about how the Bible was not the word of God how these were but mythological stories, inventions of creative minds, things that never happened in this world at all. Well, interestingly, about the very same time, there was another science that was beginning. It was the science of archaeology. In fact, Napoleon contributed to that. When he went to invade Egypt, he took with him some scientists who examined all of the many wonderful finds in Egypt and gave great impetus to the new science of archaeology. And they have since then dug up hundreds of thousands of different things confirming 
over and over and over again and totally demolishing the liberal, radical, documentary hypothesis of the Old Testament so that today no, no reputable Old Testament scholar would maintain the kind of things that were taught in many seminaries, including my own when I was there, because it has been given the coup de grace by archaeology. And now we see in the New Testament the same thing has happened and that there are increasing number of things that finds that have been made. Now, therefore, in the radical wing of Protestantism, we have these liberal unbelievers who pretend to be Christians are having a hard time dealing with this. In 1980, they discovered a large stone which had been part of a building built by Pontius Pilate in honor of Tiberius Caesar. And on that stone, it says, Tiberium, by Pontius Pilatus, procurator of Judea. I've been there, I've seen it, I've read it, it's there. And so we have the Pilatum stone, as it is called, 1980. And then in 1990, they discovered another ossuary containing the bones of one Joseph, the son of Caiaphas. Now Caiaphas was a last name, and Joseph Caiaphas was the high priest, the high priest that concocted the whole scheme. When the priests were all upset about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and they said they didn't know what to do, you remember it was cunning Caiaphas who said, Ah, you know nothing at all. Know you not that it is better that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation perish? It was expedient, he said, that Jesus, Jesus should die. The death of expediency. And it was Caiaphas that examined him there in the Sanhedrin. It was Caiaphas that led the mob over to Pilate's palace. It was Caiaphas that turned him over to Pilate and demanded his crucifixion but also less directly related, related to Jesus' principal apostle that took the gospel to most of the world, the apostle Paul. You remember that he went to Cyprus and met the governor there, Sergio Paulus, and converted him to Christianity. There has been a stone found that says Sergio Paulus, proconsul of Cyprus. And also, you remember in Greece, that he came across Gallio when a great tumult was raised and they brought them before Gallio, the proconsul there. We have a letter written from the emperor who refers to his friend Gallio, the proconsul of Achaia, the part of Greece where Paul was. So there are a number of direct or indirect relationships to Christ. But not only that, how many of you have heard the statement that the story of the Bible and the story of Christ is never found in any other ancient writings other than the Bible. It's all dependent upon the Bible, and that's a bunch of fairy tales. Well, I've heard that said by skeptics from time to time, but is that the case? My friends, it could not conceivably be further from the truth. For example, to wit, Flavius Josephus, the greatest of the Jewish historians, a general as well, who was captured by the Romans in the 
Jewish wars taken to Rome. He fell right in with them. And uh, he wrote the Antiquity of the Jews. And this is what Josephus said. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if it be proper to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful deeds, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the instigation of principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those who had loved him at first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again from the third day, the divine prophets having foretold these and many other wonderful things concerning him. And the sect of Christians so named after him are not extinct to this day. Here are heathen writers that wrote about Christ. Some of them wrote whole books, such as Tacitus, the Roman historian, the Roman equivalent to Josephus, Suetonius, another historian, Pliny the Younger, a governor, Epictetus, Lucian, Aristides, Galenus, Lampridius, Diocassius, Himerius, Libanius, Ammianus, Marcellinus, Eunapius, and Zosimus all make reference to Jesus Christ. So don't let anybody tell you that this is all a myth. As the apostle said, we have not proclaimed unto you cunningly devised fables or muthos, myths, but we were eyewitnesses of his glory. What we have seen and what we've heard and what we've handled with our hands, we tell unto you about the Savior of the world that came into this earth and suffered unbelievably, bearing our sins in his own body and enduring even the wrath of his father who poured out the cauldron of his punishment for sin upon his own son because of his love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave up his own son, that those that trust in him, that believe in him, that receive him to their hearts should not perish but live everlastingly. And it is fact, not fiction. There are 10,000 other evidences of the historicity of the scriptures. These are just a few concerning Christ and the gospel history. Have you believed it? Have you received Christ? The Bible says, as many as received him, received him into their hearts as Lord and Savior, as many as abandoned all trust in their own so-called goodness, in their own supposed self-righteousness, in their own merit, and have put their trust entirely in Jesus Christ. I remember the great historian John Gerstner said that there are many people today who have learned about the gospel, and now there is only one thing that stands between them and eternal paradise, and what is that one thing? Is it some heinous sin? Is it some secret seduction of some sort? No, he says, the one thing that stands between them and eternal salvation are their good works. Now, he says, they have none that are real, 
but to them they are very real and very precious. And so they will not let go of their own suppositious good works that they may take hold of the cross and trust in the suffering and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. That is what faith is. It is abandoning all trust in ourselves and resting our whole hopes of eternal life on what he did on the cross. Dear one, what are you trusting in for your hope of heaven? It's now all carved in rock and stone. Let not your heart be a stone, but may God by his spirit soften and melt it, that you may say, ah, Lord Jesus Christ, I am the sinner for whom you died. There's nothing in me that would merit it. It's not because of what I've done, but in spite of what I've done, that you loved me and died for me. And I yield my life to you. I repent of my sins and I trust in your atoning blood as my only hope. And I accept the free gift of eternal life right now. May we pray. Father, should there be any in this sanctuary or within the sound of my voice throughout the nation and the world who have never yet received the living, risen Savior into their hearts, may they do so right now. May they open them and say, Come, Lord Jesus Christ, come into my heart. I want to be a Christian in my heart. In thy name, amen. The land of Israel is crucially important to biblical history. It's the home of our faith, where Jesus was born, walked the streets, ministered to the people, died on the cross, and rose from the dead. And modern Israel is a vital strategic ally of America's in the Middle East. All of this makes Israel a land of great importance to Christians. But did you know that it was important even to America's founding fathers more than 150 years before its establishment in 1948? It's true. And you can discover how in the fascinating book, George Washington and Israel by Dr. Peter Lilback. Dr. Lilback is one of the most accomplished scholars on George Washington in the world today. And I'm proud to say he was deeply respected by my dad and is my fellow board member at D. James Kennedy Ministries. Dr. Lilback has compiled the words of George Washington as well as several other founding fathers and great American leaders throughout history, professing their love and support for Israel. I'm not aware of any other book like George Washington in Israel, and we will send it to you as our thanks for your generous donation to the vital work of this ministry. And if you're able to give a donation of $60 or more, we'll send you George Washington in Israel, plus the beautiful coffee table book from Dr. Tony Evans, Experiencing Israel, Walking with Jesus in the Holy Land. This guided tour of key locations in the Bible reveals the historical and spiritual significance of each place. It allows you to visit Israel even if you've never been there in person. 
It's lavishly illustrated with full-color photographs and features commentary and teaching from Dr. Tony Evans, one of America's most beloved pastors. As Israel celebrates the 75th anniversary of its founding, this is a great time to grab hold of these resources that will increase your appreciation for this incredible land and its rich history. That's the book, George Washington in Israel by Dr. Peter Lilback as thanks for your generous donation. And that book plus the gorgeously illustrated Experiencing Israel, Walking with Jesus in the Holy Land by Dr. Tony Evans as thanks for your gift of $60 or more. And your generous partnership with us allows us to produce biblically rich, deeply relevant television programming, documentaries, podcasts, and other content that impacts our culture. Our children and grandchildren need the clarity of God's word now more than ever. So please give a generous donation today to help us spread the truth. We're so humbled and grateful for your faithful, sacrificial partnership. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11154, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339, or call toll-free 877-962-7677, or go online to djkm.org. The history of the Jewish people has been a fraught one. Just in the past century alone, the Nazi Holocaust destroyed six million Jewish lives. That makes the founding of the modern nation of Israel, 75 years ago in 1948, so necessary and significant. The Jewish homeland, under the constant threat of attack, surrounded by enemies, has been a home and a haven to formally dispossessed Jews. But Israel's mere existence is an affront to many. The so-called BDS movement, which means boycott, divest, and sanction Israel, has found widespread support on the left, both in America and internationally. And a number of mainline liberal denominations have joined in. This movement says that even what Israel has is too much, and they should shrink their borders even further. It portrays Israeli Jews as oppressors, while declaring hostile enemies who surround them as the victims. Unfortunately, we are seeing a rise today in serious anti-Semitism with slurs, attacks, and killings increasing. And too often, mainline Christian denominations have lent rhetorical support to anti-Jewish, anti-Israel rhetoric. But it's very dangerous for Christians to forget their common heritage with the Jewish people, and even worse, to disregard them. According to the inspired New Testament, salvation has come to the world through the Jews. The Bible describes Jesus Christ foretold by the law and the prophets as the root of the tree. The Jewish people are the natural branches, and believing Gentiles are like branches that are not natural, but that have been grafted into the root through faith in Jesus Christ. As a result, the Apostle Paul warns against any arrogance or pride on the part of believing Gentiles, saying, Do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, Remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. It's a beautiful fact of biblical history that our Savior is a Jewish Savior, and our heart for his people, according to the flesh, should be for their welfare, their protection, and most of all, their salvation, their regrafting back into the root. As Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Thank you for joining us today. Make sure to connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And also remember that you're always invited to join us for worship here at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale. You can also join us by live stream every Sunday morning at crpc.tv. And now, here's a look at the next Truths That Transform. Wokeness is infiltrating public schools. It's coming into churches. It's coming into corporate boardrooms. And people don't really know what's hitting them. That's next week. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.